And here's the truth of the matter. The loving God that you talk about who wouldn't punish sin does punish sin. And he's offered you a full pardon on behalf of that sin. But you have to receive it. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. There's an epitaph found on a cemetery somewhere. It reads like this. Paul's my friend. As you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare, my friend, to follow me. Someone came along and put an epitaph right next to it, and it read, To follow you is not my intent till I know which way you went. There's a sense in which we spend all of our lives preparing how to die. But the Scripture tells us that it's not until you are prepared and ready to die that you'll truly know how to live. As it is appointed to the man once to die, and after this the judgment, your life is as a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And what will be remembered of you is not simply your obituary or your celebration of life, but the memories that you have left behind. And so Jesus in this passage is reminding us of a very important truth. Don't get so caught up in the temporal things of life that you miss out on the eternal things of life. And all of us have to carefully examine our hearts in light of this passage of Scripture. It's incumbent upon us to regularly take stock of our spiritual inventory, to do a heart check on where we are with God. The Bible tells us at one point to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so I want to ask each of us today to examine our relationship with God. What would happen when we die? So Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. Let's look at that together. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I want you to hear the words of Christ in comparison to the Jesus that we see in the culture today. The Jesus that we see in the culture today is gentle and kind and loving who would never say anything to anyone and a loving God would not punish sin. Surely He wouldn't do that. He's got long flowing hair, he wears a robe and a sash, and he carries around sheep all the time. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. 
The Jesus of the Bible, just by examining these words, is separating the wheat from the chaff and the sheep from the goats. And to those who do not know Him, He will say, Depart from Me, I never knew you. And there's an inherent kind of tension and contradiction throughout the Bible. It's telling us, first of all, don't trust in your profession. Don't trust in a prayer that you pray because mere words are never enough. But on the other end of that, don't trust in your performance because all of the goodness that you do is not enough to make you stand rightly and cleanly before God. And so how does the Bible resolve that? You can't trust in your profession, but you can't trust in your performance. Well, I believe we'll see that in the latter part of Matthew 7. But he tells us to not trust in our profession. And he tells us that on the day of judgment, there will be a great white throne of God. All of us will stand before the judgment throne of God, or we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. If you go to Westminster Abbey in London, there is St. Edward's Chair. It's been there for over 800 years, and every king and queen who is crowned is crowned on that chair. It's not much of a chair. It's a little wooden seat that's off behind some glass walls. But every time a new monarch is crowned, they sit in that chair. Well, the Bible says there will be a greater throne than that. And when standing before the God of this universe, what will matter is not how many things you've done in this life, but what have you done with the Son whom He sent. And He says, I can't trust in my profession alone. Many will say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus will respond, depart from me, I never knew you. So not everyone who calls Jesus Lord knows him as Lord. It's possible to know about God and not truly know God. He says here, the false prophets do not know Jesus, but more to the point, Jesus does not know them. Jesus says, I know my sheep and they know me. The Lord knows those who are his. And my fear is that many of us may be trusting in a prayer that we prayed rather than the one to whom we prayed. On the day of judgment, many will think they're saved who will not be saved. Billy Graham is probably the most well-known evangelist of the 20th and 21st centuries. He thought long and hard about this issue, and he estimates that 75% of the church, everybody on church rolls, 75% of the church does not know the Lord. That's astoundingly high from someone who engages in evangelism for most of the decades of his life. But do you remember the story that Jesus shares in a couple of the Gospels where the sower goes forth to sow? Sows on four different types of, sow, of soil. Some takes root, some does not. If you examine those soils, really only one soil endures to the end. One out of four. And I think there's a word that's missing today in our culture it's not enough to ask Jesus to come into your heart. You have to repent. It's possible to ask Jesus to come into your heart without truly repenting and, and, and believing. You know, anyone can read a line with a weapon aimed at them. I'm sure many of us have seen hostages captured by terrorists who are reading lines of propaganda that they've been threatened with within an inch of their life. They don't really mean that. Well, in the same way, it's possible to read the line that says, I want to go to heaven when I die without truly repenting and believing. It's not enough to say it with my mouth. I also 
have to believe it in my heart. And the gospel commands us to repent and believe. John 3.36, he who believes in his Son has everlasting life, but he who does not believe the Son shall not see life because the wrath of God abides on him. We talk very much in the culture about the love of God. Very rarely do you hear about the wrath of God, that God in his righteous judgment will judge the world. Many will say, how could a loving God punish sin? It's interesting that nobody takes that argument into the courtroom. If your loved one has been wronged, you don't want the perpetrator to get off. You want justice to be served. Think of major court cases in this country that people thought went the wrong way and the outrage that resulted because of that. And here's the truth of the matter. The loving God that you talk about who wouldn't punish sin does punish sin, and he's offered you a full pardon on behalf of that sin. But you have to receive it. And the only way that you receive it is by receiving the gift of his son. And I think especially in Protestant churches and in Baptist circles, we use a phrase that really has a lot of misnomers and I think it's caused a lot of harm to the church. And that is the phrase, once saved, always saved. What do we mean by that when we say once saved, always saved? I heard of a guy who didn't believe in God who had become an atheist. Someone was arguing with him or why he should receive Christ and he said, here's the great news about it. He said, I don't believe in God anymore, but I did when I was a little boy. I prayed a prayer. I asked God to come into my heart. And here's the great thing. I can do whatever I want and not waste my life if God isn't real. But if he is real, I've already prayed the prayer. I'm in the club, so either way, I'm good. And many of us who would never say that out loud live like that every single day of our lives. I've prayed the prayer, therefore I'm good. Interesting thing is, Jesus never says pray a prayer in the Gospels. He says, follow me. And the only way that you can follow him is by repenting and believing. That if you don't maintain your confession, your salvation may very well be counterfeit. He says they went out from us because they were not of us. And salvation is not a one-time prayer that I forget about. It's a confession involving repentance and faith that is there for the rest of your life. Now, once someone is in the arms of Christ, can they be removed? Absolutely not. But because someone is in the arms of Christ, they will have a desire to follow Christ, and you will know them by their fruits. So if there is no desire, and there is no fruit, there may very well be no salvation. And my great fear as a pastor is that those who sit under my preaching and teaching and know the gospel could fail to enter into the rest of God. Unless you think it could never happen to you, consider that one of the twelve, Jesus, Judas, was there with Jesus, performing miracles, casting out demons, walking with the Lord for three years, but he did not know God. Don't trust in your profession. But then he tells us something else based on this passage. Don't trust in your performance. The challenge is that there will be Many good moral people who will not see God. The most difficult person to win to Christ is not someone who's messed up. The most difficult person to win to Christ is a moral person because they don't think they need God. And here they come. They say, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? 
And did we not do many mighty works in your name? Let's translate that to church culture and church life. Many of us are familiar with that. Lord, did we not teach a Sunday school class? Did we not put money in the offering plate? Did we not try to live a moral life? Lord, do you not know who I am? And truly, they're asking the wrong questions because they're using the wrong qualifications for admission. They've deceived themselves into believing that they deserve to get in, and they've substituted good works for the righteousness of Christ. And so these prophets, even the truth in what they say doesn't necessarily qualify their hearts. These demons, even those without God, attempt to exercise. In one passage, they say, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? What about miracles? Even the priest of Pharaoh do miracles. And Jesus shares that story of Lazarus and the rich man, and the rich man who does not trust in God lifts up his eyes and says, I have five brothers, go and share this message to them. And the response from heaven is, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they hear my words, though one rise from the dead. Have you ever noticed that people rarely get outraged at their own sin. Most of us get outraged at other people's sins. So we go on rants, we join causes, we put social media posts blasting other people's sins. But I've yet to come across someone saying, I can't believe how much I lied today, putting that online. I can't believe how much I've lusted. Man, I really wish I hadn't cussed out my spouse today, messed up there. We're very quick to judge the sins of others, but not nearly so fast to judge our own sins. And contrary to the popular conception, Jesus doesn't say judge not. He says judge with right judgment. And he says, understand this, that the same standard at which you are outraged by other people's sins is the same standard by which God is going to judge your sin. And most of the time, what we get angry about is that other people sin differently than we do. And listen, anybody who thinks that they deserve to go to heaven, hear me out, I say this in love, anybody who thinks that they deserve to go to heaven isn't going there. Because it is only by the grace of God that we receive life. Everyone who ends up with Jesus knows that they don't deserve to be there because they've repented of their sins. And so he says, I can't trust in my profession. I can't trust in my performance, so what do I have to do? I have to trust in Jesus, and the way that I do that is by following Him. But here's the thing, you can't truly follow Jesus unless you know Him. So who is it that enters into the kingdom? We know that the gate is narrow, the way is not wide. The one who does the will of the Father in heaven. Faith is measured by obedience. And here's why you'll keep His commandments. If you love them. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know, if you love someone, you'll do anything for them, won't you? Well, in the same way, love of God enables us to keep His commandments, but those who do not know God cannot love God and therefore cannot keep His commandments. But for those who are in Christ, His commandments are not burdensome because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Listen, good intentions won't get you to God. Only saving faith will. And the evidence of that faith is obedience. Fruit, consistent, 
with repentance. At one point, Jesus will say in Luke 6, why do you call me Lord and you don't do the things I say? There's an engraving over a church in Germany that says this, thus speaketh Christ our Lord to us, you call me Master and obey me not. You call me Light and see me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me life and live me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. Why do we think that we can somehow throw our commitment to God out the door and still enter into his kingdom? Brothers and sisters, if you believe that, you are deceiving yourself. We want part of the gospel. We just don't want all of the gospel. We just want the part that sounds good. Everybody wants the power of the resurrection. There's not a whole lot of people who want the fellowship of his sufferings. Yet he says that's the way to glory. And so he tells us very clearly that your walk speaks much louder than your talk. These false professors talk with their lips, but not with their life. They recite the creeds, they sing the songs, they even read the book, they just don't know the author. And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you, so depart from me. So it wasn't as if they had salvation and lost it, they never really had salvation in the first place. You know, in our own denomination, we have almost 16 million Southern Baptists on our rolls. The problem is, two-thirds of them we couldn't find if we tracked the FBI and the NSA to look for them. But it gets more personal than that. We have 700 people on our church rolls. 700. Where are they? And so how do I spiritually check up on, on where I am? No man can know, the God, can know God except you and the Lord. Truly, the only person who knows whether you're a believer or not is you and the Lord. You two are the only ones. But he gives us some checkups on how we can examine that. How, what does it mean to know God? And this is outlined very well in the, in the book of Acts. He says, first of all, Philippian jailer asks Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul doesn't say go to church. He doesn't say put some money. He doesn't say clean up your life. He says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That is, I recognize something, that God came into this world through His Son to save people from their sin, that I've done wrong, that everyone else has done wrong. The reason this world is messed up is because there's sin. And God sent Jesus to die the death that I deserve, to live the life that I couldn't live. And then when He was in the grave for three days, God raised Him back out of the dead. And if I will believe in that, and I will trust in that, I can have life. He tells us that. But the true test of salvation is whether or not you have a faith that lasts. And here's the thing. Faith is impossible to live out apart from the local church. We are a part of the body of Christ. We are to be together in spirit and in unity. So brothers and sisters who are, who are here today, maybe you've been part of the church before, maybe you've been out for a while, I invite you to come and be with us as we seek to live life in the kingdom. 
If you've never trusted in Jesus before, the offer of salvation is free to all who will repent, to all who will trust after him. And here's some questions for those of us who are believers, for those of us who claim the name of Christ. Here's some assessment questions that we can ask ourselves to see whether or not we are truly in the fold. And, and incidentally, this is something that all of us need to do, including myself. We should never just assume that we have a relationship with God. Here's some questions to ask. How do you respond after you sin? Can you continually, openly live in sin and still try to live for God? That's the challenge for my generation. You'll see a lot of stuff on, on social media about following God and Scripture verses and everything else, except when it comes to sex. It's all out the window after that. For an older generation, it might be, I'm all about following God, except when it means giving up my possessions, material things. All of us have something we've got to lay out. How do you respond after you sin? Here's another question. Do you forgive? You say, well, that person doesn't for deserve my forgiveness. No, probably not. And neither do you deserve God's forgiveness. But he says, if you won't forgive them, he won't forgive you. So if you can't forgive, you've got a real serious problem before the Lord. And then a final assessment question. Do you have a desire to be in his house, in his word, among his people? See, on some level, I have to have a desire to know the things of God. doesn't mean I'm 24-7, all in, let's go to church, let's read God's word, let's pray, because the flesh pushes against that, pulls us the other way. But in my heart of hearts, I know that I'm in this thing because I desire to follow Jesus. That's what he's seeking after. And to believers who are here today, the last thing that I would want to give you is a reason to go against assurance because the Bible gives assurance. It gives full assurance. It says that the Spirit makes known those who are God, that you don't have to live in doubt. And what the enemy seeks to do is one of two things. He wants to make believers doubt their salvation so they never live in Christian freedom, or he wants to make non-believers think that they'll be okay, either because they've prayed a prayer or because they've lived a pretty good life. And so one of those two ends likely reflects you at some point in your life. And I can remember as a young boy, over and over, wondering if I had prayed the prayer right, wondering if I had said the, the right thing. And it was a real struggle for me. I would wonder if I, had, if I had paused right, and then if I had committed a sin, I would pray to God right then and there and wonder if he had forgiven that sin and about the next one. And I, I just really struggled with that off and on. And there came a point in my life where my pastor looked at me years later and he said, Barry, you've just got to decide whether or not you are going to trust in Jesus, heaven or hell, sink or swim. You're going to follow him regardless. And I tell you what, from that point, there is assurance in that. The assurance is in following Jesus. The assurance is in the obedience that he offers, because when you're obedient, he gives you freedom. So I would ask of you today, each of us, to examine the spiritual contents of our heart and rather than hear the words depart from me i never knew you may we all hear the words well done good and faithful service enter thou into the joy of the lord
Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at veryefields.com.